This Week in Startups is brought to you by Silicon Valley Bank. Big ideas don't fit into standard packages. That's why Silicon Valley Bank has banking and financial solutions tailored for startups that help them reach their milestones faster. svb.com forward slash next to learn more. Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas bank here. Rippling. The world's first way for businesses to manage their HR and IT in one system. For an easier way to onboard and supercharge new employees, go to rippling.com slash twist and get 20% off. And LinkedIn. To redeem a free $100 LinkedIn ad credit and launch your first campaign, go to linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. Upcoming launch events. Apply for our next Founder University September 9th and 10th in San Francisco at founder.university. And get your free Founder Pass for Launch Scale in San Francisco October 7th and 8th at launchscale.net slash tickets. I'm pleased to introduce Matt Hiroki from Calm, who is going to talk to us about customer acquisitions. Please, warm welcome for Matt. Hi, everyone. Hope you're having a good day. Thank you, Jackie, for the introduction. Um, so I'm going to be talking about growth, paid marketing, and attribution. Um, let's get into it. So a little bit about me. I've been working in growth for about 10 years at varying types and stages of startups. Um, most currently, I am director of user acquisition at Calm. So I joined about two years ago as the first marketing hire. Um, since then, I think we've grown about 20x. So it's been a really fun ride, really exciting. Uh, before that, I was doing B2C app marketing at a company called Smule, which is a music app company. And I was running the tier one marketing for all of their apps in, in the English speaking regions. Um, before that, I did B2B marketing at App Annie. So I was marketing their app market data platform to B2B companies. It was highly enterprise level, so a very different type of marketing. Um, and before that, I really learned my chops at this little B2C uh, lead generation company called Caring.com. Um, it was by far the most difficult marketing I've done because the margins are very tight in the senior care market. And when you're trying to do something that's socially driven rather than revenue driven, um, Obviously, you know, it's really difficult to find product market fit. It's, and, and as I said, the margin just made it really, really difficult. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit about managing to that, that margin later. Um, so let's get into the agenda. Um, the biggest piece of paid marketing is understanding your LTV CAC. So LTV CAC is lifetime value, uh, the ratio of lifetime value to customer acquisition costs. And so whenever you're spending a dollar on marketing, it's really important to know how that dollar is going to come back in the long term, as well as the, the lifespan of, of the customers you're acquiring. Next piece is attribution. So you can't calculate lifetime value to customer acquisition cost without really, really robust attribution. And as your company grows, your attribution will become more mature. So I'll talk about what early stage attribution looks like versus what really mature attribution works like. And it's, a, it's an ongoing process. So we don't know everything about our users. We know way more than we did when I first started, but we're, we're growing every day. And the more we learn, the better we market. Uh, next, I'll go into some marketing channels and talk about the strategies that are available uh, out the gate, as well as sort of some pitfalls that you can fall into if you're not aware of the, the, cost, the cost numerator for a lot of the, the, uh, the platforms that are out there. Uh, one thing that a lot of people assume is that because you're a B2B product, LinkedIn is a great place to start advertising. But the difference between LinkedIn and a lot of other platforms is that they have a minimum cost per click for the, the feed posts that you put up. So unless you're able to convert you know, a $5 minimum click into a customer at a, at a reasonable rate, it will never work for you. So it, it's not a channel I recommend 
uh, if you're a fledgling B2B. Uh, creative, I'll talk a little bit about creative. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to approach creative. I, I tend to, I, I like simplicity. So the best creative usually reflects your product in a very, very clear way and has a, a very clearly stated value proposition. There are a lot of brands that get away with, you know, super innovative creative that get a lot of attention for what the creative is. That tends not to, that's a high risk, high reward situation. And generally speaking, your best performing performance creatives will just speak very clearly to the value of your product. And then I'll show you a little bit how I do competitive analysis at Calm. Uh, we're a little bit privileged in the app world because there's a lot of data available on competitors, public data even. So we're able to, to identify competitors quickly, identify what's working for them, copy them if necessary. Um, the, you know, there's, a, there's a famous quote, or a lot of people say that the moment you start thinking that you're, you're invincible, that you can't get any better, that's when you start losing your edge. And I think that's very, very true. At Calm, we have dozens of competitors now, probably hundreds if, if we count the people I'm not directly aware of. And if we're not always watching what they're doing, we're going to miss out on major growth opportunities and we will be eclipsed. And so the first piece of the LTV CAC puzzle, the lifetime value to customer acquisition cost ratio is lifetime value. So in your early stage of your business, you're not going to have a ton of data on your users. You're just going to have you know, hopefully you have your system set up so you can actually see when you've made a sale and you get that data back. Um, but because you don't have years and years or months of data to see what those users will do in the long term, you have to make a lot of assumptions about what the LTV will be. So below I have a chart. Um, and the, uh, the blue is a conservative LTV curve. So if you're looking at, let's say you're a, an annual subscription business, uh, you have your initial sale revenue, which is, let's say, $100. You have just one product that people can buy. Uh, you look at them three months down the line and you realize, you know, about 60% of people are still around. Most of them are still using the product. That's great retention. You can't know how that will turn into renewals when it comes to year two, but you can make some assumptions, right? You can assume that if just about every single one of them sticks around, you will be able to bill about, you know, 60% to half in the, the second billing cycle. So that's your more aggressive LTV curve. And then you can you should assume more conservatively that even though a lot of people are still using the product, they may churn when it comes to the, the giving the money for the second year. Uh, and that's the, the more conservative blue curve. You should always favor the more conservative curve in the early stage of your business, because if you're, you're modeling off of a false LTV, you can burn through every penny you have in, in no time uh, just based on that one wrong assumption. Uh, as your business matures and grows, you can move to a more advanced model. And so... You know, at Calm, when I joined, we literally do. We had two sales prices. They were the same throughout the whole world. It was a monthly and a yearly. Uh, we treated everyone exactly the same because we didn't have a lot of data about them. We didn't know who they were, where they were, all, all these things. And so we used a conservative universal uh, LTV model across everything. As we learned more, as we broke things out by what product they purchased, what region they're in, uh, what platform they were on, we were able to learn more about the unique behaviors of those platforms. And now two, three years down the line of having good attribution and LTV tracking, we have curves for every single person that comes in on day one. So we know if you purchased on, well, of, of the $1,000 that we spent today, we got 10 purchasers. These purchasers are distributed amongst these products and regions. These are the individual curves we can expect for their, their um, lifetime value. And um, with that information, we can say, this is the exact ROI we'll get across of our, our universal uh, marketing platform. And um, we can see a breakdown here. So I, I have some examples. If, if we're breaking it down just by four simple cohorts, we have 
US purchasers buying annual subscriptions, European purchasers buying annual subscriptions, and then the same for monthly and, and uh, monthly between Europe and US. Um, and you can see, like, we're very certain about what these curves look like. This is f uh, obviously fake data, but we're very certain about what happens after that initial purchase. So we're able to make really good decisions on two year, three year, four year lifetime value on day one of, of our marketing actions. Uh, the second piece of the lifetime value customer acquisition equation is the customer acquisition cost. So you can't calculate this without really good attribution, which I will talk about afterward. Um, when you're looking at your customer acquisition cost, it's, it's all about attribution. Um, it's easy to know what you spent. The platforms uh, report spend very clearly. Uh, Facebook will show you what you spent on each ad each day, break it down incredibly granularly, but it won't necessarily communicate that to your attribution. It's up to you to have an integration that shares all of that data and integrates well with your system to tie it all together. So I, when I talk about attribution later, I'm going to talk about simple versus complex. And there's a lot, there's a huge difference between the two. You should probably never start with the complex because the complex is, you will make a lot of mistakes in, the, in that process. And if you try to overcomplicate, it will end up being a higher cost to your business than, than the benefit. Getting attribution wrong is as costly as getting LTV wrong. Um, there's a lot of different attribution methods that exist. I'm mostly going to be talking about link attribution. That's how most things are done these days. All Facebook digital advertising is done with uh, link attribution. Google AdWords is link attribution. Any platform that you can put a digital ad that someone can click on generally uh, uses link attribution. As you move to other platforms like television, um, you know, audio, podcast, you're going to need new, new methods. So referral codes, surveys, statistical models will come into play. I won't go into those unless someone has particular questions about them. Um, but uh, they're all things that we do at Calm. Uh, once you actually have a mature attribution model, these are sort of the ways most people break down their, their attribution parameters. So when you're sending data into the platform, you will have a link that links to your product or to the, the store that they get it in. And you'll also have all these parameters. You'll say the media source is Facebook. The campaign is Facebook, iOS, US. Um, maybe that's your top level. A targeting method is tends to be the ad set level, and that exists in Google, Facebook. I believe it's now in LinkedIn as well. Um, the creative you're using, any A-B test you're applying to the, the, um, the measurement. And then you can also get user location and demographics into the, into the equation if it's available on the platform or if you have a data enrichment available uh, you know, either in your, your ecosystem or some uh, third party that does it for you. And so on the right, we have a breakdown of a campaign structure with uh, customer acquisition costs underneath each of the, the elements. So if we're optimizing toward a $50 customer acquisition cost, we can see at the campaign level, we're doing pretty well. We're right on target. Don't need to make any changes. But as, if you have robust attribution and you're running many, many campaigns, if you have that data that's posting back the information on how the ad sets and the ads are performing, you can do extra layers of optimization. So we can see that while the campaign is hitting target, two of the ad sets are performing pretty differently. Um, the, uh, the top ad set is performing well, and we can scale it up efficiently. The bottom ad set is performing. Uh, it's actually not helping us. It's above our target. We will have to cut that back to make it work. But if you also move down to the ad level, you're passing all that data through, matching it back. You can optimize further. You can see that clearly there's one ad copy that's outperforming the other one. And if you simply pause the, the underperformer, you can get the second ad set on track as well as scale up the first one. So you're, you're 
you uh, just with that pause, you're optimizing your campaign level customer acquisition cost from $50 down to you know some 40s, uh, $42. That's all scale that you can reclaim. You can bid up, you can get more traffic. So an applied uh, visual of what LTV CAC looks like once it's complete is right here. So it informs every decision we make. Everything that we're running, if we're not able to apply a customer acquisition cost model to it, we're super, uh, we're super reluctant to it. We, um, you know, we're very conservative. Um, this is not totally real data, but this is similar to how we look at it. Um, as you can see, we have spend over time broken down by weeks and by days. Um, the headlines are actually wrong. Those are cost per trial. And the reason we use cost per trial is because on day one, people our, our product is seven day free trial into purchase. So we don't actually get concrete purchase data on day one, we get free trial start data. Um, and uh, that's why the, the day LTV CAC is blank for the most recent week. Uh, we don't have purchase data for that cohort. But what we can use this data for is that in the long term, once we know our, our rough conversion rates from purchase to our day one purchases to ultimate purchases, we can say that if we have you know, a $48 cost per purchase on, on the first week, after, the, after a week or so, or two weeks, it'll bake down to about $43. So that's roughly our ultimate cost per trial. And then we can apply the, the forecast model to it to, to populate the forecasted two-year LTV here. So all the decisions we make are based on that forecasted two-year LTV. Um, if our target is $250, what we currently did for this zero-week time period, $43 cost per purchase, it's likely to bake to around $250, or 250% LTV CAC. So we know that we can double down on that strategy. At Calm, because you know we've been doing this for a while, we're at major scale. We have this view for every single ad that we're running, and you know in the history of the company, we've run twenty-five thousand different targeting ad variations. So it's a lot of information that you need to like cook through to get to an efficient plan. If you work in the tech world, you know it's not about the foosball tables and ping pong and free lunches and hoodies. There are many challenges in the startup journey and no one understands them quite like Silicon Valley Bank. For example, you have a great idea for a startup, but you don't know the way to launch. Silicon Valley Bank has helped thousands of startups and is always eager to share their insights. If you feel like your company is growing at quantum speed, well, talk to Silicon Valley Bank because they strive to support you at your pace to be quick, nimble, and always looking ahead to the future. With Silicon Valley Bank, you're not just getting a bank, you're getting banking and financial services from a partner that's committed to seeing you through the ups and downs along with insights, expert advice, and scalable solutions that founders need to move their bold ideas forward and faster. So here is your call to action. If you're a founder, potential founder, or just someone with an idea and a whole lot of ambition, Silicon Valley has solutions that will help you. And they're going to support you again from seed stage right up to the big stage. So visit svb.com forward slash next to learn more. svb.com, nice short domain name, forward slash next, N-E-X-T, Silicon Valley Bank. Ideas Bank here. Let's get back to this amazing episode. All right. So on the attribution piece, this is the, the essential piece of, of calculating your customer acquisition cost. As I said, it's easy to know the spend, the platforms tell you themselves, but it's really difficult to know what people are actually doing once they, once they reach your app, your product, your website. Um, I really love this quote. It's, you know, it's super old, but it's half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. The trouble is I don't know which half. 
Um, it's really great because it gets to the core concern. He, he identified that attribution is a problem way back in time. He probably, you know, he maybe has ads in newspapers or flyers going out. He truly doesn't know where his customers are coming from because there's no direct line tying them together. Um, we still have attribution problems today, but this quote no real, longer really replies. The, the, the fact is that I don't know what's happening with the vast, or I know that I'm wasting the vast majority of my budget, right? I spend thousands of dollars on ads that people just scroll past their feed. That's all wasted money, right? But you have to do that in order to get those few people that bite. So while you know, this quote is great, the actual quote now is maybe, I know I'm wasting about 95% of my budget, but I know a lot about that 5% of people that actually come through because there's a straight line that ties them together. Like the attribution will tie that action they took to, the to my store or my product, and I know exactly who they are, how I reach them. Um, so there's a, there's a good mix of B2B, B2C companies here. So I, I kind of did the, surface, the top level of what basic attribution looks like for each type. Um, so the basic web B2B model, and a lot of these are very similar. They, they mostly depend on those tracking URLs, as I said. They use different platforms to, to pipe the data through. But for the most part, B2B and B2C web will be using Google Analytics or, or a competitor. Um, and those tracking URLs will pass whatever parameters you put on them. So you'll say UTM source is equal to Facebook, UTM campaign is equal to whatever your campaign name is, all the way down to whatever granular parameters you want. That will all live in your Google Analytics. And if you have Google, Google Analytics set up well with your website, you can trigger events back when things that you're interested happen. So if you're a B2B company, maybe it's someone completes a lead form, that'll trigger you know, a one back to Google Analytics. And you can see from these different source campaign combinations, how many leads did I actually generate? Very useful information, but also not a complete picture of, of attribution. And I'll talk about why. Um, you also need a Salesforce integration with those lead forms so that they actually go someplace, right? The leads will populate in Salesforce, probably with that form ID on it, but it won't capture the, uh, the tracking URLs. Um, for B2C, it's actually a lot easier. Uh, you won't need that Salesforce integration and you're doing much higher volume. So if you're driving people to buy a product on your website, you can see where they're coming from with the UTM tracking parameters, and then you can see what actions they're taking with the events. What you won't see is that if they keep coming back over and over again, you won't know that they originally came from a particular source. And there are solutions for that as well. Um, for app B2C, it's very similar to, to both tracking URLs, all that, but you need a measurement SDK in your app in order to see what people are doing because all app, all app downloads happen through the stores. And because you don't control that space, you can't ingest the, the parameters you send through the URL. So that means what actually happens when they click on the tracking link is that information about their device is captured by the, by the partner you're working with or you if you built it yourself. Um, then they hit the app store and they're anonymized at that point. But because you have an SDK in your app, when they open the app, they'll recognize that device data back to the click that happened before. And you can forever tie that person's ID back to the, the event that happened on the click. Um, it's a little bit more robust for mobile app because device ID resets are pretty uncommon. You have to go pretty deep in there to do it, or you have to like buy a new device or access from a new device. So we, we're a little bit privileged in the app space that we can keep track of people for longer. Um, so the outputs of each of these, the, the basic attribution models, is that you have some idea of your cost per lead, cost per sale, cost per whatever event you're tracking. Um, you can calculate averages across your business using these numbers. So you can see you know, if, if you're clearly 
generating way more revenue than you are cost, you know you're doing something good, but you won't have enough information to say exactly what. Um, everything you're doing is an estimate at that point. You have an estimated LTV CAC for, for all of your marketing sources. Um, the missing pieces are that, that piece that ties the user's first event back to all of their events. And so there's a lot of ways to, to make your marketing stack more robust to see that. The main way is to have people sign in or to have people um, you know, put in their credit card information, some recognizable personal identifi identifiable information that you can tie the whole thing together with. Um, and so the advanced view looks something more like this. On advanced web B2B, you have all the same pieces, the tracking URL, event pixels, Salesforce integration, but you also need to capture information about users into your own database. So if you're watching all the IP addresses that come to your, to your website, you can say, all right, this IP address came from these UTM parameters. They have these tracking parameters. Save that in a massive database so that when someone actually completes a lead form, you can match that event that they, that you can match that lead completion event back to the parameters that sent them. So now you can send those parameters into Salesforce and what that allows you to do is say, okay, these leads in Salesforce, you know, you used to know that 50 of them came from marketing because you got 50 event pixels, but now you know exactly which ones came from which sources. And my experience in B2B is that sources vary wildly in quality. So you might have something that's delivering, you know, dozens of users every day at $5 each, but none of them are converting. So effectively all they're doing is wasting your, your sales team's time. So very important, very important that you have this data available. And if you can't build the, the sophisticated integration out the gate, it's a very good idea to at least at the, the media source level, send to different landing pages and different lead forms so that when those lead forms populate to Salesforce, you can say that this form corresponds to Facebook ads, this form corresponds to LinkedIn, this one to, to um, Google search. Um, and the advanced B2C side, there's a lot more things you can do to, to enhance the data, but it, it's very similar. So you're going to be creating a session database that does the same thing. You capture the session data with the device ID and the tracking parameters. That way, when someone comes in, they either create an account, they, they log in, or they give you their payment information. You can tie that attribution data to that, that payment information or account. Everything they do in the future then is associated with their original source and the, the login that they used when they made the purchase. Um, very similar for app B2C. We actually, the need for this is much higher at Calm than other companies because we don't have, we have that event pixel that happens when they start a free trial, but you can't trigger an event clearly for when that trial converts into a purchase. That happens on the back end. So we have a whole system that says, it, that captures the user's information, like actually tracks the revenue that is generated from them and then does that device matching on the back end. So whenever someone opens our app, we have both the attribution uh, the, the attribution database as well as our own internal database so that we can tie the internal logins and purchases back to the attribution source database. Output of all this is clear LTV CAC. Tells you everything that you need to know about your customers and where they came from. Um, this is sort of what I look, look at on a day-to-day. -day. Uh, it's no longer in Excel, but it's a little bit more shareable in this version. Um, Basically, I can see all of the strategies I'm doing, how they're affected over time, and I can identify things that are working really well and things that are working really poorly. If I have an LTV CAC goal of 250%, you know, I can see there's a lot of things I need to cut back on and a few things that I can scale up like crazy because they're very efficient. And then the other useful thing about attribution is you can optimize the actual experience of your app or your website. When you have those pixels in place, you'll see conversion rates from the click on the ad through the 
you know, navigation through your website up to your landing page and hopefully to that, that final conversion. Um, there's a few best practices for conversion pages. Usually shorter is better. You don't want to give people a lot of steps to fill in. Uh, there's a few things that work well with lots of steps, but it's pretty rare. They usually have to feel like they're adding a lot of value to the experience. Um, the best example I can think of is in the medical space and in the therapy space. I heard that, I think it's BetterHelp, has a 40-question onboarding that they have a 90% completion rate on. And that's because people feel like they have a real need and that data is going to be used in a useful way for them. For us, the more questions we add, the more people we lose. We, we like a one-page conversion experience if possible. This is actually a competitor of ours that I think has a really clean conversion page. The, the call to action has to be super clear. So you don't usually want to give people tons of options. You want to get them on your page, get them to do the thing, and get them off. Um, anything that, any information you try to offer or alternatives tend to decrease conversion. Uh, if you have to ask for sensitive information, and even, even email is sensitive information. People don't want to give you those things. You, you tend to have to ask it at the end. So if it's a lead form, you might want to start with, you know, tell us about, give us your name, give us your company, um, tell us why you came. And then on the next page, ask for, hey, now actually give us your email so that we can stalk you on the internet. Um, and then I hate this, but the it tends to be that the more your brand team likes something, the worse it'll work for performance. So. <laughs> You need, you need to be quantitative about what's working, right? You'll, you'll start with whatever is created that you think is beautiful and great, but you'll end up working down to something that is really essential and communicates well. So you can have something that's beautifully branded and communicates well, that's the win-win, but it tends to be that you know, the fancier you make it, the more confusing it is for people. So here I just wanted to highlight, this is a good experience because everything that clutters the page is pushed below the fold, and it's just a simple one call to action, one click to convert. Um, it's great if you're a mobile app because they can just put in their fingerprint and they're converted. You don't really have that luxury as a, a web company. Uh, you really need them to type in and it's a lot of friction. I want to tell you about a secret weapon I have here at Inside.com, my company, and this secret weapon is called Rippling. You know Rippling, R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G.com. Every minute you spend updating your company's employee data and systems is a minute that you're not spending on your core job, whatever product or service you're trying to introduce into the world. Thankfully, there's Rippling. It's the first and only platform that combines HR and IT. And they just put them right together. These are two things that are arduous and painful for every founder. What if you could just have those two things off your plate and done perfectly without errors and quickly? Well, now you can. Imagine you hire somebody in just 90 seconds. You take care of their HR, payroll, health insurance, 401k, and that's not it. Then you get all their IT stuff done. You order their computer and you instantly set up their accounts in the most common apps that we all use like Gmail, GitHub, Slack. And it's all in one simple onboarding flow. And that's why it won PC Magazine's Editor's Choice Award. And it's the top rated HR and IT software on G2 Crowd. Here's an example of an employer-employee contract being signed for Inside.com. Tell us about yourself. Boom, you put your address in, you sign the documents. Boom, here we go. And we're done. We get everything done. We're hiring somebody, putting in their title, they sign everything, and boom. We're back to work on what we're building at Inside. It's a seamless experience and everything is in one place. 
So if you're looking for an easier way to supercharge your employees and have your HR and IT run like a well-oiled machine, I want you to go to rippling.com slash twist and get 20% off. That's right, rippling, R-I-P-P-L-I-N-G.com slash twist, and you're going to get 20% off. That's an incredibly generous offer. Okay, let's get back to this amazing podcast. Uh, next up, I'm going to talk about when and where to market. So attribution can tell you what's working from what you're actually doing, but the you know a huge question is what should I do first? And if you're starting with no marketing, you know you got to make some choices. You got to make some sacrifices. So a good time to a good way to decide whether to start marketing. First of all, your product has to be functional. If you're bringing people into a product that doesn't work, they're going to be pissed off and it's going to work against you. Uh, users are happy. Uh, the conversion funnel should be somewhat optimized, so you should set up some kind of test to, to test your conversion funnel. Ideally, you'll have some organic interest or you have you know, friends, people that you can get into your product that will give you direct feedback. Um, having an LTV, LTV model is super important, as we said. If you can't calculate a rudimentary LTV CAC, you have no idea how much you can pay for a customer. Um, and having the attribution in place will tell you what you're paying for those customers. So that's sort of like... You need these. You should have these things to get started with marketing. Um, if you don't have them, you can still test your marketing. Some people do this. Um, I've never been in a company that's done pre-launch marketing, but a good example is Robinhood. I don't know if anybody got sent this, but it was like six years ago. A friend of mine sent me this page. Apparently, they converted almost a million people just by saying, "Hey, give us your email, and we'll give you this amazing product when it's ready." Um, that's a, that's an example of really great pre-launch uh, conversion funnel. And it follows all the best practices, right? There's simple call to action. You have no choices. It's just put in your email. That's all they ask. Very effective. And so here is a graph of effort for launching a, a platform versus cost of operating on that platform. And then the, the circle sizes is the scale that's available. I'll talk through a few of the, the main ones. And then we can sort of talk about others if people have questions later. Uh, Google search is super far on the low effort scale. Uh, also sort of limited size because you know search traffic is just limited to the number of people that are searching for that thing already. It's very difficult to influence search traffic. Uh, it tends to be high cost, but it will vary a lot based on your business. Um, I've, I've done search campaigns for a lot of friends that are starting companies. So one person was doing a water damage repair company and he was like, I want to do search. You know, people have this emergency. The first place they go to is Google. But what ended up happening is that a cost per click for that keyword, because there's so many people in the space, was $100. So $100 for a click to the website at a conversion rate of like 5%, 10%, he's spending you know, hundreds or thousands of dollars per customer he's bringing in. It was really hard for it to pay out for him. So what we decided is that everyone's kind of getting scammed in that space and you probably shouldn't be buying Google search. Um, if you're in a less crowded space, if you are one or two competitors or you're reinventing a space, Google search can be amazing for you. Um, I also built out the Google search for a, a pot club back before they were banning that. Um, there were some sneaky things you could do to get around the keyword blocking. And he was getting customers buying product from him for $2 each at super high margins. Um, really depends on what the marketplace is. Um, Facebook, very easy launch cost. Um, they, they make it very, you know, they have so much technology that's built to be easy to implement and quick. So if you're on the website, they have a Facebook pixel you can put on. You've probably heard about this, with the whole data privacy thing. Um, the Facebook pixel does something similar to what your, your event pixels do. It'll watch the activity on your website, post back things that they see happen to their platform. So they can do optimization for you. Uh, I really like it for that low effort. And it also tends to be low cost. Um, 
Google search is kind of a winner take all bidding marketplace. Whoever has the highest bids going to get the top placement and really take the lion's share of the traffic. Facebook is a little bit more democratic. As long as you have a good product, as long as you, well, as long as you have a product that appeals to people, particularly in the early stage, you can get some cheap traffic and it's great for testing your funnels because, because the startup cost is low um, and you can manage risk very carefully. Uh, LinkedIn, I put in that high expensive spot for the reasons I said before. They have minimum costs built in. That is not how bidding ecosystems work. Um, in order to have a functional, in order to have a product that worked for advertisers, their minimum cost would probably have to be around 10 cents. You know, clicks are clicks should be cheap. You know, the conversion funnels, the drop off tends to be for each step you push people down. There's like magic numbers between five and 13 percent. Like a really good conversion funnel, the most people you're going to get through is 13 percent. So if you're spending five dollars a click. You know, multiply that out by six or seven. That's a lot for for someone to complete a form on your site. Um, other things that are high cost, traditional TV. You should just never do that out the gate. Uh, there, there's even we don't do traditional TV because it's priced in kind of an insane way. You're bidding against Coca-Cola, car companies, major brands that have huge dollars to spend. Um, my theory about why it's so expensive and why they still do that is that they reach a lot of people in moments of decision where you're like, I need a car. And so you need to be in their mind to, to make that decision. For, for direct actions, we've run expensive TV spots. is terrible. It's like the cost per eyeball of, of an expensive premium primetime spot is probably 30 times that of a nighttime, you know, daytime TV spot. So you need to be 30 times more effective at converting people for that to pay out. Um, also on this is Remnant TV. So I actually love Remnant TV. It's, it's one of my specialties. Uh, people think it's really complicated to get started on TV, but you can actually move from contract signing to being live on TV in a couple weeks. Uh, it's, it's actually very simple to get started if you're working with the right agency uh, and you're not too picky about the creative you put out there. TV creative, I have a lot of thoughts on, but it's also the same, like simple is good. And also if it's something you've proven works on social, you don't have to do the thing that major agencies say where you need a highly produced commercial. You can use the thing that worked on social. That's how a lot of companies are getting started on TV these days. Um, and then I have some of the, the smaller high effort uh, platforms up here. I don't know a lot of people that are making much money on any of these Pinterest, Twitter, direct deals. I, I've heard of some companies that they managed to get ahead of the podcast curve. So they have, they have sponsorship deals on podcasts that have grown pretty wildly. And so they're doing well. We're able to break even in the podcast ecosystem, but we're not raking in major money or scale. And Pinterest and Twitter just straight up don't work for us. Um, here's a, a, a simple view of some creative. So right now, video is really in vogue. Uh, it's in vogue because it's working the best uh, in most contexts. So I'd say Facebook and Twitter all video first. And as I said, the best practice is to just show something very simple, show your product. And this, this game company here, Toon Blast, does exactly that. They're one of the top grossing games. They're making millions of dollars a day, I believe. And well, maybe, maybe that's an exaggeration, but probably upwards of $500,000 a day. And all their ads are like, hey, play our game. That's all it is, super simple. Um, creative is the difference on Facebook between spending like almost nothing to huge amounts because unlike uh, Google AdWords or, or other platforms that don't have that social layer, the more popular your ad is, the more people it gets shown to. So it's this, it's this cycle. The more money you can spend against it, the more people you get to engage with it, the more reach it gets. Um, I have next to this a, an, an ad from a competitor of ours named Aura. So they, 
I mean, their strategy was to clone Calm. So their, their app is a clone of Calm and their ads are clones of ours. So we use a lot of stock video in our ads. All of these stock videos exist in our ads. And so that's just how they came up with their ad strategy. If you have a competitor or someone that's similar to you in the space, don't be creative. Just take what they're doing. That's your starting point. Um, well, I was going to ask who knows the major competitors to, to Calm? Is anybody? Headspace. So in the competitive analysis piece, we can see Headspace is trending around. They float between like a rank 150 to rank 100 in top grossing iOS US, um, which was pretty good. And Calm is much, much higher. And we're happy to be there. But when we watch them for their product changes, their ads, we make sure that if they come up with a great idea, we're, we're ready to do something similar or at least ready to learn from it. Um, but what's really interesting is we have some competitors that are climbing like crazy. So these guys are quite, uh, aren't quite at where Headspace is, but they've tripled their ranks in the last, in the last year. So whatever they're doing is pretty effective. So identifying this, this is App Annie. This is the company I used to work for. This is public data, so I didn't have to pay for this. I just logged in and, and I got competitive data on all, on all the major apps in my space. Um, I know that there's something that they're doing that's interesting, right? So diving into their app, I can see, you know, this is a view of Calm on the left. This is a view of Breathe. So they're, they're copying what we're doing at the base. So maybe not a whole lot to learn from product out the gate. They are doing some new things now that we are copying and, and are working very well. They're a smart company. As I say, respect your competitors. Um, and they're actually doing something in their ads that we aren't doing. So seeing their ads, I was like, okay, so they're growing. They're growing faster than our, our major competitor. They must be doing something smart. Their products is the same as ours. Their ads must be good. So I found this ad and I had no shame cloning it, right? It's the exact same <laughs> sequence. Um, and on Facebook, this is a really important thing to do because you, you know, the conversation is around defensibility. If you have an ad that speaks the same value propositions, if you look in Facebook for the demographics they reach, they, they touch the same people. So when they come up with something that's good, if we want to defend us, if we want to defend our brand in that environment, we should just do exactly what they're doing. Um, there's going to be a lot of stealing from each other in these spaces, especially in the app, because you can move so fast here. If they come up with something innovative that, that jumps them in a day, I'll see it that next day. And I'll copy it. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Thank you for your time. Um, you guys know LinkedIn. You're on it every day. It's the largest professional community that has over 600 million members and counting. What you might not know is that 62 million business decision makers visit there and 71% of people use information from LinkedIn to make an informed business decision. So everyone who matters to your brand is there, your future customers, your existing customers, your team. And when you advertise on LinkedIn, you will find both these customers and you're gonna build long-term relationships with them. LinkedIn ads drive the results you care about most. And LinkedIn's powerful targeting tools help you reach the right audience, right down to job title, right? How awesome is that? I want CMOs, I want CTOs, I'm looking for social media managers. You can just pick the right title and company name and industry and more. So here's a video of my CMO, Presh, creating a campaign for our Angel Summit event. And with LinkedIn, he was able to target people working in venture capital. Duh, that's the people we want. And he limits the audience to folks who work for one to 10 
or 11 to 50 person firms. Once he set all the custom targeting, he uploads the creative and activates the campaign instantly. So here is your call to action. I'm gonna give you $100, that's right. A hundy, a C-note, mm, from LinkedIn in ad credits. So launch your first campaign right now at linkedin.com slash thisweekinstartups. You gotta spell out that whole name to get the 100, okay? linkedin.com slash this week in startups terms and conditions of course apply let's get back to this amazing episode thanks a lot for that that was great um what stack do you use to monitor all of this firehose of information uh we use a bunch of things now but the the main piece that we use is apps flyer so apps flyer is our attribution vendor they're the ones that provide the links and the the, the well the links that we use for tracking we have an integration with them we have integrations with Facebook, um, and we actually have our own. We have our own fairly robust database, and so, as I was saying, that that piece of tying attribution to lifetime value is super crucial. And the way we do that is we have our own devices database. So everyone that opens Calm, we save. We know which of them create accounts and which of them take purchase actions. And so when we have a device ID that matches an account creation uh, to an Apps Flyer ID that matches source data we can tie that account, all future actions and revenue back to that. Um, we have a whole lot more infrastructure that's in place for, for product optimization. Uh, we use Amplitude for A-B test monitoring. <laughs> and uh, we have our own A-B test system built in so that it, it's modeled af after Facebook's A-B test system where you can drop any individual user in whatever A-B test you want. It's not as robust, but it, uh, it allows us to do a ton of testing and to see the results of those testing. Thanks. This was great. Thank you so much. Uh, two questions. I pr presume you're calculating LTV after you've paid the, the Play Store and the App Store? Uh, yeah, we use Net. You use Net, of course. Okay. And then you didn't mention Google UAC in any of your, your campaigns. Are you not using it? We, we do use Google UAC, yeah. How do you find it co compared to AdWords and, face and Facebook, for example. Yeah, so I've been doing Google advertising for a long time. And so I was doing app advertising before the UAC product was released. And you were able to do search separately from YouTube, from display, from all their different products. And it, it certainly worked better for me when it was siloed that way. And I could just pick and choose the things that work for me. We do do Google UAC. It's probably about number three or four in our, in our volume stack. Um, but we don't get a lot of transparency from them. So you don't actually control your links. They don't tell you a lot about what they do. And so even if they perform well, we're a little bit suspicious that they're gaming attribution and we're not actually getting what we're paying, what we think we're paying for all the time. Okay. How's it going? Um, I have a question for uh, B2C e-commerce consumer uh, companies. So I run a subscription box. We're just starting to scale up our marketing. We're kind of building out a um, attribution system like you're talking about. But one, one problem that we're kind of having that I wanted to know if you had thoughts on was driving people from a channel like Facebook or Google where they come, don't convert right off the bat, but then you capture their email and then they convert through an email series down the road. Yeah. So in those cases, we tend to attribute it I mean, we look at it both ways, right? We measure the effectiveness of email in terms of, of lift. So you know, we look at the entire group of the entire group of registers that didn't purchase, and then we test the emails to see how much better we can make them purchase. But we still claim that user back to the attribution source. Um, we, that's sort of why we have that upsell curve where you get a lot of trials on day one, but you still get more coming in over time. It tends to be from email upsells and 
other decision points that, that are further down the line. I think it's important to look at both. And, and when you're testing your, your email stack, you're doing A-B testing on messaging or targeting strategy or frequency, um, try to do specific holds, holdouts of audiences so you can see exactly what lift it's applying to, to the different sources. Um, I'm assuming you're not paying for email, right? Yeah, so, so we count that back to the source that drove the user. I have a question around your ratio of paid versus organic. So what is a good ratio? Um, I, it'll probably depend for every app, but obviously, depending on how much you acquire them for, you can't do too much paid acquisition. You have to get mostly organic or vice versa. Yeah, true. So it's all based on the LTV CAC. And I should have mentioned that we, we look at two LTV CACs, right? We look at the LTV CAC for every individual marketing effort we do. And we also look at our blended LTV CAC, which is blended, paid, and organic. Um, you know, I think if you're in, in early financing stages, people love a, a blended LTV CAC of above four. So you want to be making 4x the amount of revenue you're spending on, on, uh, on marketing. As you become more mature, that becomes a lot more narrow of a margin. And obviously, in, in the ideal world, you're 100% organic, right? You don't you don't want to pay for marketing if you don't have to. But so long as the the marketing LTV CAC is good enough, you know, if you're at a two or a three, you're in a great place. And so y you can spend expecting that money to come back if your model is good. How do you justify or decide when to do some awareness campaigns like the billboard that you were showing earlier? in relation to LTVs or CAC? I really didn't like the billboard. Um, I put it up there just because it stands out in, in kind of a crazy way. Um, and we didn't do enough billboard to know whether it would affect the business. The billboard, the idea with the billboard is it's up in San Francisco or it was up in San Francisco. And so, or that one, San Francisco and LA. And so it's, it served a split purpose. It, it built awareness amongst non-customers. So we were interested in recruiting. We were interested in financing. We were interested in um, awareness among celebrities that we want to work with. So it was more of a strategic choice of let's put billboards in places where people that we have many intentions with will see. But we didn't do a quantity that's measurable. Um, we are planning to do some out-of-home tests and we're planning to just blast markets, right? I'm planning to put up dozens of billboards in Houston, see what that does in Houston and actually measure the impact from every stage of the funnel. I, I'm most interested in performance, so we're probably going to be looking at installs and purchases. Um, awareness for a mobile app is a little bit questionable to me because, you know, would you rather people be aware of Calm or would you rather have a user of Calm? And if you're paying similar dollars for each, you know, that user is going to be both aware of you and hopefully an advocate for your brand. So a couple questions, quick ones. Um, one, uh, I'm assuming you also use Amplitude for cohort analysis. Is that true? Yep, absolutely. Gotcha. And then uh, I was also wondering, do you have any? Do you recommend any any specific tools um, that are a little bit more lightweight than you know having an integration with Apps Flyer? You know, especially if you're not you know B2C. Um, are you in the mobile app space? So um, somewhat. We're a marketplace. Um, but we're B2B. Okay. I, you should be able to get started with a third-party attribution vendor, and I, and I really recommend it um, without too much startup cost. Uh, a lot of them can give you a pay-as-you-go model. So rather than saying, you know, you need to commit to a $20,000 a year contract, you can just pay a dollar per install or something. There's also some, there's also some disruptors entering the space that will do attribution for free. I think that's Branch and maybe Tengen is still doing that. 
Uh, from an implementation standpoint, it's the same. So if the, if you're worried about the, the effort rather than the, the dollar cost, you're not going to be saving much by, by going with one or the other. What you can do is, if not a lot is happening in your ecosystem, you can just do a marketing campaign and measure the lift. I don't love these methods, but but it can it'll give you directional information about you know can you grow using the marketing campaign you're doing. Okay, and um, and in terms of uh, measuring that, do you have any? Sorry, quick quickly, do do you have any recommendations in terms of like, is there any spreadsheets you found online that were helpful in terms of taking all that data from those various places? Um, if you're measuring, if you're measuring lift just up from static numbers, you can do the model yourself pretty easily. You can just do before after, and if you're international or if you cover many regions, uh, you can use those regions as baselines. So one of the ways we measure the impact of TV, for example, is we're not running TV in Canada, but we're running it in the U.S. So when we launch TV in the U.S., we watch. You know, we we try to burst so that we have we have our optimized plan. Pause it for two weeks. We reactivate it and look at what that lift is when we turn it back on. Um, we look at it in terms of both installs and the purchases associated with those installs, because you know, like I said, with that lacking Salesforce integration, if you don't know exactly where they're coming from, you won't know the distribution of of the quality that you're getting. So, um, yeah, I I really recommend having actual attribution though. Hi. Uh, first of all, congratulations for the, your Series B. Oh, thank yeah. you. <laughs> and then, uh, what is your customer acquisition cost from TV ads? Um, so it it's in line with our target. I'm not going to tell you what our targets are, but it, it's we've managed TV to be the same as as our other channels. Um, we've had some hiccups on TV, as I said. We tried some of the traditional TV channels, and it was a horrible mistake. So with the with a, t a media plan that's optimized remnant inventory. And we do this optimization in a lot of ways. So when I talk about attribution models, we have four that we use for TV alone. So it, it took a lot of effort to get to this optimized model. Um, picking the channels and placements that, that we focus on was actually, because we know exactly when we're running TV ads, we can m watch our install curve. And so minute over minute, we can see whenever a spike happens, we can tie it to the cost of that spot, effectively look at what those installs do compared to others. We have all these models that say, this TV spot was actually worth exactly this number of dollars. Okay, and have you tried uh, influencer marketing? Yeah, we do influencers. And good or? I mean, it's okay. So because we weren't super early to the game, and I think, I, I think that's mostly what it's about. The the companies that are doing a ton on influencer marketing's got great deal from those influencers. You hear them everywhere, right? I I can't remember which ones I repeatedly hear, but it's like the Cash App and um, Squarespace. I, I think I hear all the time. Um, we didn't really, we didn't get ahead of that curve well enough. So, and the attribution for them is difficult as well because you're not using tracking links. You're you're telling people to go to a particular URL to take the action. Only some percentage of people are going to do that. We use we we modify that with a how did you hear about us survey. So some percentage of users that install the app and take an action get a survey that says how did you hear about us, and you know we give them the option to check podcasts and tell us the name of the podcast. Um, with that, we have a fairly complete picture of what we get from podcasts, but it's it's not complete. It's not 100% complete. So whatever we're doing there, we need to be conservative with. Um, I wouldn't think of podcast as a launch channel. Last one, uh, PR you use yes. in-house in, in, in or, or with an agency? We, we have an in-house PR manager, but they work with agencies. Okay. Thank you.
<laughs> Thank you so much. Yep. No problem. <laughs>